Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That is Luke 12, verse 48. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you so much for joining us today for our fourth and final episode in our dad series for the month of June in honor of Father's Day. We have been honoring our foster and adoptive dads, and we have an incredible and inspirational dad guest with us today. But first, as promised, we are now arriving on your device by our new name, the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I mentioned back in episode 320 uh, and, and after Uh, This episode, we won't be mentioning that part anymore, but just to bring you up to speed, if you're a fairly new listener, uh, we used to be the Orphans No More podcast, started as a radio program over seven years ago, uh, became a full-fledged podcast uh, three years ago now. And knowing now who our intentional listeners are, folks like you, adoptive, foster, and kinship parents, we want to make sure that our name uh, is relevant to who we are and what we do. So as of June 1st, uh, we became officially the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. Same host, yours truly, same great content, and same mission to serve you on this journey. Uh, If you have been a subscriber to Orphans No More, didn't have to do anything, but notice that uh, it shows up in your inbox uh, on your podcast platform. um, This as by the new name, but it's the same show. It showed up by the new name with our nice new logo um, on my device. Uh, And I, I, I listened to my podcast through uh, Apple podcast. So it's just automatically showed up. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and subscribe today. When you subscribe and leave a review, if you if you choose to do that, we'd appreciate that too. But sub- when you subscribe, it signals to the algorithm that this show is relevant and important and people are listening and they want to listen. Uh, and we want all adoptive foster and kinship caregivers to find this show because we believe it's a vital resource for the parenting journey. This is a show, this is a resource I wish I had way back 22 years ago uh, when we welcomed the first child into our family through a kinship placement. So um, we, we know that this is a vital resource and we want everybody to be able to find it. And when you subscribe, it helps others to be able to find it. Uh, and we want you to find encouragement on this show also. It's one of the things we want to do is come alongside you, encourage you, inspire you, equip you for this journey. Maybe this is even a, um, maybe you listen for a, as a time of, of your self care. Very important. Um, but we would love to hear from you. So if you've been listening or even if this is your first time, you enjoyed the show, you were encouraged by it, uh, leave us a comment. 
uh, or you can email me with a comment, with a question, with a suggestion. Uh, you can reach me directly at my email, which is Sandra Flack, J-F-O at gmail.com. Or you can reach out through our ministry website, which is all updated and brand new and beautiful. And our trauma and FASD resources on, are on there. The podcast is on there. Uh, as well as uh, all the work that we are doing here in New York with Care Portal. That is all on there. So you can check out the ministry website, justicefororphansny.org. I hope you'll do that because uh, we're super excited about how it came out. So beautiful. Uh, and then stay tuned to the end of the show because I have some announcements about some new resources that we are offering to parents and caregivers. So you won't want to miss that. Now to our guest. I am so excited today to have adoptive dad, Peter Mutabazi. At age 10, Peter ran away from home in rural Uganda to escape his abusive father. And for five years, he lived on the streets of Kampala, a city of 1.5 million people, until one man saw potential in him. See, folks, you're going to hear about how one person can change the life. God can use one person to change the life of an individual, to change the life of a child. Since then, Peter has served as a relief coordinator during the Rwandan genocide, worked for the International Committee of the Red Cross during the Sudan conflict, graduated from not one, but three universities, worked for an international relief agency, became a U.S. citizen, has fostered countless children, and became a single adoptive parent. Please welcome our guest today, Peter Mudabazi. Hey, Peter, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm truly excited to be with you. Well, it is an honor, truly, for me to have you on as a guest Um in my 10 years of interviewing adoptive and foster parents, um, I don't know if I've ever introduced anyone with such an incredible bio as when I read yours. Um, I know I did. I don't know if you know Alex Sam. He's from India. But um, I had the privilege of interviewing Alex many years ago, uh, and he had been an orphan, uh, and he had been living on the streets of Mumbai, India. And he has an incredible testimony as well. And now he and his wife are serving the orphan in India. Um, so it's just an honor, really, to, to be able to speak with you and to hear your story. So would you share with us uh, what you remember about your childhood growing up? Well, yes, about my child. So really, my child was miserable in every shape you could think of. And I don't really think I had a childhood because... You know, I think at the age of three or four, I was able to go get water a mile to two miles away. You know, I never saw a toy. I never had an opportunity to be a kid. You know, they, they, there was no, no chance to say, well, you can go play. You know, life was just so hard. There was no food. But at the same time, like the, the life condition within our village was really difficult. That as a kid, you had to, you know, in, you know, you had to contribute towards the family's needs in order to survive. And I think being the oldest, I had to start really early, you know, so I didn't really have a childhood that I would say that I am proud of or I look forward to. But all I can remember was just miserable. One, there was never enough food. You know, my mom 
never had enough food to feed us a day. And sometimes we, we would, you know, miss a day and eat the next day. We could not have beans and potatoes at the same time because we would have to spread them for next day. So today we had beans and next day we'd have potatoes. And it's hard, I think, as a, um, I think a mom to tell you to be hopeful or to tell you there's a future for you when she can't feed you for a day, you know? And then, you know, at the age of four, I began to realize not only we're poor, but I had the most abusive dad. So as a kid, I think for me, life was just so miserable and so unpredictable. But two, at I think at the age of four, I began to realize that not only the abuse was coming towards me, but it was coming towards my mom. That mom spent most of her life or, you know, that I can remember in a bedroom because she'll be hiding from my dad. And also we lived in a, in a house that was almost like, an, I don't know, really as big as your garage. So you can imagine the abuse, the commotion that happens as kids, we witness all that, you know? So for me, childhood was just think of misery. Like literally, I never wanted to dream for tomorrow because today was hard enough that I didn't want to think about tomorrow because you knew today is going to repeat and repeat. So for me, I really never had a, a good childhood in any shape, form you could imagine. You know, uh, as I said, you know, there was no drinking water that would have to walk miles at four. I could walk three miles away and it would take me about, you know, three to four hours, just one way. So life, you know, I, I didn't play, you know, there was no toy. Uh, so it, it was really miserable in every shape you could think of. Hmm. And, and then if I understand your story, you spent time from a very young age living on the street. Yeah. So then at the age of 10, I was like, look, you know, rather than let my, my dad take my own life, I decided to run away. I had never been 20 miles away. You know, I went to the bus station and I asked the lady, which bus goes the farthest? And the lady pointed at uh, the bus that went the farthest and I got on that bus. And it's not like I was looking for a place to go. I think for me, I thought if I should die, I should die in the hands of a stranger than my own dad. So I didn't care what would happen. I just want to go as far as I could because I knew if he found me, he would take my life. So I ended up in Kampala and my only option as a street, you know, uh, in Kampala was to be a street kid. So from the age of 10 to 15, I was a street kid, you know, who lived miserable, you know, who lived in the garbage, who scavenged with, you know, with other dogs as well, you know, where life was just so, you know, so bad. From home, you know, I was called, that I would never mount anything. From home, I had from my own dad that I wish I was never born, that he didn't have to feed me. On the streets of Kampala, the same thing, you're treated more like a stray animal, that you are a human being. And, and most of them, I believed it because I looked like one. I did the same thing that they thought of me. So there wasn't really hope in some way. And that's where I ended up uh, in Kampala, uh, in Uganda. Wow, so, but, but one man, one caring adult found you and made really a life-changing investment into your into your life. So can you tell us about how the trajectory of your life changed at that point? Yes, absolutely. So as a street kid, we always, you know, would steal, or it was easy to steal while we were helping. So I saw one man, I was like, I'm going to get some food from him. But before I could get it, he said, hey, what's your name? And that really stopped me because no one had ever asked me my name. For four years and a half, I lived on the streets. No one had ever asked me what my name was. I was... I was garbage. I was just a street boy. That, that's why they called me. So he asked my name. And then before I could steal food from him, he gave me something to eat. And so he left. I saw him the next week. I saw him the next week. The fourth week, I kind of knew what car he drives when he comes to the city. And I knew at least I had one day, one day in a week that I didn't have to steal. 
And then one day after he had fed me for one year and a half, he said, hey, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? You know, of course I was, you know, because I think he had fed me for one year and a half, I felt like he earned the right to ask me that, you know? So finally I said, yes. But before I said yes, he said, there would be dinner, breakfast and lunch because it's a boarding school. I think that's all I had, dinner, breakfast, lunch. I'll go, you know? Uh, and he changed my life by just really seeing the best in me when nobody could see the best in me. He he didn't judge me for what, what I looked or what I did, but he saw me as a kid who had a potential. I think in God's eye, he's like, this kid, you know, he's fearfully, wonderfully made that I ought to give him a little glimpse of hope. And that's what changed my life forever. Wow, I love that. And how did you come to faith? Did, was it through that man? Yes. Well, you know, of course, people will change our lives. We can, we always kind of ask them, why did they do? But also he became my idol. You know, he began using words of affirmation to help me understand that he loved me. He would say, Peter, you, you belong, you're chosen, you're part of us, you know? And I think for me, the scripture was a little bit easier because he demonstrated scripture. He didn't teach me the scripture. He lived it. So for me, it was a little bit easier. But at 19, I think I had a difficult, and not understanding, but I think I felt that the Bible wasn't there. You know, it said for, for those who've wronged you, forgive them. And for me, I was like, there's people we can forgive, but there are some who should not. And that includes my dad, that he does not deserve to be forgiven, you know? So I didn't want to be a Christian. I wanted to hold on the hatred towards my dad, you know? But one day while I was, you know, rescuing children during the genocide in Rwanda, I saw what they were, you know, I saw more than three dead, 3,000 dead bodies in a day. And I thought, you know, how could people do this, you know? But then I looked in my own soul and said, I am capable of doing this to my own dad, you know, that I need Christ. And so I turned to the driver and I said, look, I really want to know Christ, my Lord and Savior. And he said, no, you work for compassion. You go to church, you believe. I said, nope, I look like one. I act like one, but deep inside, I don't, I don't know him as my Lord and Savior. And so that's how I came to know the Lord because I wanted to go to heaven during the whole time in genocide in Rwanda, that I knew I was as sinful as anyone else, that I needed hope, that I needed grace. Uh, and that's really what sparked me to, 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 to put all, you know, that I needed forgiveness for sure. Wow, I love that part of your story. And, and from that point on, and well, even at that time, you were investing yourself into the lives of vulnerable children. You were working for compassion. Um, share with us some of the other work you've done over the years, because you've done a lot of, of, of various different things, compassion being one of them. Tell us tell us some of your journey there. You know, so what I didn't want, I thought I would die. So I said, God, if you could take me back to Uganda and survive, I'm going to serve the kids. You know, sure enough, I went back. And, and from there, really, I had a heart for kids. I worked as a volunteer at a church. I taught Sunday school. And I always, for every company I worked for, I think I always looked for that, the advocates for children. So I worked for International Computer Red Cross. I work for World Vision now. So for me, yes, kids have always been really the center of my life and, and what I do. Uh, and that's really how I feel like I can give back because someone saw the best in me as a kid that I needed to do the same, to pay it forward by truly advocating for kids because I know it better to be unloved. I know it better to be uh, unseen. And so for me, I really wanted to make sure that every child was seen, heard, and known through my own journey. Mm, incredible testimony. Uh, and now you are a U.S. citizen. So when did you come to the United States? What led you here? 
Well, so this man put me in school. So I managed to stay in school. So I went to high school and then I went to university in Uganda and then I got a scholarship to go study in England. So then I went to England in London and then I was there. Then I went back to Uganda and then I got a scholarship to come and study here in the United States. And so through it's crazy how a kindness of one human being gave me all those opportunities to be here, to be in England. And so that's how I came to the US uh, as a student. And then I got a job with, you know, Compassion International, where I would be able to speak on behalf of the kids, uh, and then with World Vision, and and then I found Foscare. So yes, as I get to reshare, you'll see how a kindness of one human being has changed, you know, literally everything about me, but along the way has changed. Even my family, all my siblings, there are five of them, they have gone through university, not because I could do it, but I think I, I was the example. They, they were more like, if Peter can do it, we can do it as well. But also I knew I could not take them away from home. I knew I can invest education into them. And that's really how I managed to give back. And that really has helped them uh, achieve the best they can uh, through the kindness of one stranger. Wow, that is incredible. And you mentioned becoming a foster parent. So at what point did, did you become a foster parent? How did that come about? Oh, yes. So I, I mean, I have traveled over the world. I've been in more than 101 countries. And I think every time I traveled with people, I saw people who were adapting from China, uh, from Europe, from Uganda, my own country and Ethiopia. And I had never seen a black person. They were always white families. They were always, you know, a husband and a, and a, and a wife. And since I was single and black, I thought maybe I don't qualify, you know, but what, and I think also I struggled when I came to United States, I struggled by saying how many big homes people were living in, but yet they, they were so empty, but yet knowing that there were kids in the, in, in the neighborhood that had, had nowhere to go. And I was thinking, I mean, how do you, like, how do you just find having an empty home house, you know, when there are kids in the community and I said, Lord, if you ever give me a room, I would really like to be a foster dad or at least help kids. So I walked into the foster care system knowing that they will not allow me to foster since I was single. So I said, hey, would you allow me to be a mentor to teenagers? And the social worker looked at me and said, hey, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? So I said, I don't qualify. She said, no, you can. So that day, as soon as I got to know I can, I signed up to be a foster dad. That day I said, I cannot leave your office without signing up. And so since then I've had 24 kids uh, and right now I have four, adapted one in the process of adapting the other two. So it's truly been a joy, you know. And, and also I wanted to live my life in some way that I think men, sometimes we are, we are told that we are not good parents that I wanted to show, no, men, I think we can be parents, but I wanted to inspire my fellow men that it, raising kids and being tender is not only just geared to one gender, but we as dads that we ought to love our kids. We ought to be there for them. You know, I believe the lie that I would not be allowed to be a foster parent, but I want to inspire others maybe in the, the same position as, as I was to say, no, as a single man, yes, we all want to get married, but while we're waiting, we could be dads to kids that need us the most. So that's how I became a foster dad. Yeah. And, and dads play an invaluable role in the lives of their children. It, you know, that, that's how God created it, right? A mom and a dad. And, you know, we know we live in, in an imperfect world, so there's not always a mom and a dad, but we don't want, we, I, I feel like dads don't get the credit that they deserve because dads are invaluable. So I'm just so grateful that you've stepped into that role and you're a role model and you're a dad and you're investing into the lives of children, just like somebody invested into your life. So I really thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, 
you mentioned you adopted one son. Uh, right. So share with us, I know you've got more adoptions coming, but share with us how your first son, uh, how did that adoption come about? Yeah, so I had had 12, 11 kids. You know, in first care, I think I understood, I had learned. I was one of those kids. So I understand the trauma in every shape, form, you know? Yeah. But I was trained as a parent, but there's one thing they did not train me, how to say goodbye, you know? I think mm. those were really, really difficult for me sometimes. And so I had had number 10 and number 11. They were siblings and they had gone back home, you know, and that was really tough. I had had them for almost one year and a half and I was like, Lord, I can't do this, you know? So I asked my social worker, I said, look, I need three months of a break just to recoup, you know? They had left on Monday. So she said, okay, on Friday, the same week, she calls me and she says, hey, Peter, there's a kid at the hospital. Would you mind taking him in? And I said, nope, I am not. It's not three months yet. She said, <laughs> just for respite, just for the weekend, please. I said, okay, I'll take him in. But here's my condition. Do not tell me why he's in the first care. Make sure you pick him on Monday by 10 a.m. If not, <laughs> he's going to be on the porch waiting for you. <laughs> and sure enough, at five, at three in the morning, they arrived and the social worker left. And so I told him, I said, hey, my name is Peter Mutabazi, but you can just call me Peter. And he looked in my eyes and he said, but can I call you my dad? Wow. This, this is just 20 minutes in my home. And I said, no, you're leaving on Monday. And I think it's, a prop, it's an appropriate to call me dad. And then he looks at me back. He said, but I was told since I'm 11 years old, I can choose who my father should be. So I'm choosing you. And I said, nope, no, no, no. <laughs> so finally they came to pick him up him on Monday, you know? But this time, since I had signed up the, the, the papers for him to go, I had the guts to ask, so could you tell me why he's in the first care? <laughs> and then the social worker said, hey, he came in the, social, you know, in the first care at one year and a half. And then he was placed mm -hmm. with a family and this family adopted him at four. And this family just dropped him at the hospital and they never told him why they did not want him anymore. They didn't give him a reason. They just dropped him oh. to the hospital and they went to the county courthouse and signed off their parental rights. And I mean, as I am just sitting there wondering, who does that, you know? And I think yeah. that took me to my own childhood as a 10 year old. And I thought, mm -hmm. how is he gonna cope? How is he gonna really live his life for believing he had a family and all of a sudden he loses it, you know? And then mm. from there, I knew from there, as soon as I had the story, I was crying. I was like, I think he knows I'm of his dad already. You know, he's already called me dad. Just give me the paperwork. I'll take him to school tomorrow. <laughs> you know, so that's how it's crazy how he came for just weekend. I didn't want to know. Yes. But somehow I got knew that that would be my son. And two years later, yes. I was able to adapt him as Anthony Mutabazi. And it's, it's really wow. a journey, a joy, you know? Yeah. And he's a teenager now, right? Yes. Uh -huh. He came at yes. 11, I'd adopt him at 13, now he's 16, you know? You never wow. tell God, never tell God, I'm not sure, because I feel sometimes <laughs> that's what we do. We're like, I don't think you you got plans for me. But I think when we are faithful to just open our hearts, open our homes, yes, he will, he will bless us in, in some way. He, he blessed me with a son and I'm so grateful. Mm, I love that story. And, and that's what God does, right? He sets the lonely in families He's just looking for families to say yes, and you said yes, and 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 you got a son, and then you continue to foster after that, right? Because you're still a foster parent. Absolutely, yeah. So since then, I mean, I've had 20, 20 24. 
you know, right now I have, I have four, you know, so yes, I think I found my calling. My calling is to be a foster dad, an adaptive dad, you know, that I really, you know, I wish I am praying for God to provide me with a bigger house and a bigger car, you know, so I can have, (laughs) so I can have more kids. I think that's where my calling is. I found that Mm. I, I can't truly be an advocate for kids, but also, you know, truly be there for them because I was one of them. I understand their trauma. Mm. Uh, that I'm not saying it's easy, but I, I think I identify with them easier uh, and understand them better than most. And, and that's my calling for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. God is using your story to impact the lives of others, right? So that's that's something that God does. Right. Uh, so Peter. As a black man with a white teenage son and other other foster children as well, I'm guessing that's drawn some attention when you go out about around town. How have you navigated that? I mean, that's been a shock for sure. You know, you know, my four kids are all white, you know. You know, I think we, you know, we've been stopped about seven times by the police because we go to the store and someone will call on the police like, hey, there's a black man, he has kids. I don't know. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem right, you know. You wow. Know? But I think for me, understanding my call, that has been a little bit easy. So I'm not a distra- I'm not distracted by the negative that comes with it, you know, but truly be a dad. That's my calling to kids in the foster care. Most yeah. people don't understand how the foster care system happens. And I feel it's my role to really educate by really standing out and saying, you know, yes, it's different, but this is the norm. That's how we should, you know, care for one another, you know. But the other part too, I think I wanted to show that, you know, we've seen lots of, um, you know, uh, uh, Caucasian families that have adopted white, you know, black kids, but we never ask yep. questions as much as I am asked questions. You know, I think literally everywhere we go, they'll always say, Whose kids are those? Where are their parents? You know, you know. Yesterday we had Costco. It happens often at Costco, and my kids wanted to test food, and uh, the person who was serving looked in my kids' eyes and said, "Can you go get your parents uh, before I can serve you?" And they all looked at me hard. They said, "But he's right here. What do you say? I go get another parent?" You know. <laughs> I looked, and I looked at her. I didn't. I wasn't mad. I just wanted to say, "Hey, it's okay to ask me. It's okay to say, are you the dad?'" And I'll say yes or no. But when you assume it's always wrong, you know, uh, and again, right. I, I turned around. I said, had I been white and my kids were black, would you have questioned? He said, no, because I see them often. And I said, yeah, OK. I said, maybe my journey is to make sure that that becomes a norm, you know. Yeah. Too, like I wanted to change the narrative. I think the narrative that, you know, I think, you know, black dads have had a bad, you know, stigma or history that we are not good dads. But I wanted to right. show we're truly good dad, but also I wanted to show empathy as well. You know, mm. I think my kids look different and I think my empathy and love for them sometimes is the same. I'm looking for people to treat me, you know, with empathy and understanding that mm. uh, we are all one and we're all loved. And, and by being there for one another, I think is the greatest thing to do. So for me, yes, I get those every day, everywhere, but to, to truly stay put that this God's calling and I'm, I'm not going to be distracted. But at the same time, I'm going to be a teacher as well to my mm. kids and to those that ask questions uh, as well. Yeah, it sounds like you handle it with great grace. Uh, and, and that'll make the difference, I think, as people ask you questions. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. When, you, when you try to educate them, I think, and too, sometimes, I mean, they're curious. I think if I didn't yeah. see something often, I think I'll be curious to know. He's a black man. He's got a sort of British accent. His kids are white and they're Americans. 
what's what's you know what's the ad out in some way <laughs> yeah <laughs> they can't do the math they don't get it so exactly. you'll you'll normalize it yeah absolutely oh i love yeah. yes the more we normalize the more i mean that's why i have a social media following to always really want to educate people yeah. and inspire others to uh, to care and, and have empathy for one another. That's excellent. Excellent goal there. Uh, Peter, has your life experience, and you, you've, you've addressed this a little bit, but we could dive into it a little bit deeper, um, your life experience of abuse and trauma, how has that helped you to connect with your son and the other foster children? Yeah, so at the age of eight, you know, my dad had beat me so badly and he asked me to go fetch water. So I had to go walk three miles to get water. And on my way back, I was just mad and, and just furious, you know, and then I had him laughing with his friends at the bar. He was drinking and I sat there and I said, wait a minute, here I'm sulking the whole day, but this man, he forgot all he did, you know? And that's when I kind of said, wait a minute, he kind of abused me physically, but I'm not gonna let him get to me mentally or emotionally, mm -hmm. you know? So I think by understanding that, then that really helped me to know that, hey, I'm going to not take the abuse in some way, but not choose to when I want them to go that far, that I thought I had control in how far I can let them go to, towards me. And so for me, learning that, that, it became a good foundation for me to use my past, to see more of a, and a positive, to say, look, I don't think I would have empathy and love and mercy had I not gone what I went through. At the same time, mm -hmm. I would never want anyone to go through, but rather to see more of, it really helps me be the best I can be. You know, I think my, my, my foster parents, they use the life of Joseph quite often. Every time I struggle, they say, remember Joseph, you know, how he saw, how his brothers saw him and they were scared that he's going to kill them. And what he said, he said, for what you meant for evil, God used it for good to save lives. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, you know, and so for me, yeah. I wanted to choose to use my past as a foundation to do better for others because I understood empathy. I understood what to love unconditional means because someone had loved me unconditionally. I, I understood to have to have no family, but God blesses me with a family. So I, I really, really understood on God's grace towards me that I wanted to use it for others. I felt like I'd been given $1 million, you know, <laughs> and doing a little for others was like giving away $1,000 because I had to really understand on how God loved me, you know, uh, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in every shape form. Mm. And I understood that. And I think that has really helped me to really maybe identify myself with false care kids, like understand where yeah. they're coming from. You know, I can give you an example. I had one kid, yeah. he sold candy. Every time we went to the store, he would always go to the bathroom. Then I realized that he was stealing candy and then go to the bathroom and eat it. And then, you know, and then come back. So I let him go and then I also pick up Ken and I go to the bathroom and I, you know, he's there chewing it and I also open mine and I chew it. I'm like, man, this is really good. And he's looking at me like, what did you just do? You know, <laughs> but, but I didn't want to choose him for stealing, but I wanted to identify what he was feeling. And I, you know, I chewed, I said, so how does it feel? It's like, I don't know, you know? And then we walked away and I said, look, next time, here's what I can do for you. I'll give you allowance for $3. So every time we come to the store, you have $3 to pay. And I said, I did what you did. And I stopped. And that's why God really helped me to be where I am so I can be your dad. Had I not stopped, I'd be in jail or something would have happened to me. So the same for mm -hmm. me that I want to be there for you. 
you know, I used to steal. So I did not accuse him of that, but I gave him another way to look at it. You know, I mm. went in his shoes first and I said, I get it. I was there, you know, and he never did that again, ever, ever again. Wow. Because wow. You have such invaluable wisdom is what I'm, is what's coming to me that, that you're able to impart in your parenting of these children. Absolutely. You know, yeah. learning the little I learned as a kid and see it as a positive on how I can help someone that feels the way I felt as a kid. Yeah. And, and seeing them and acknowledging them and edifying them and not putting that shame and probably the things that you felt as a kid on the streets, you know, to not put that on the children that come into your home, even if they're stealing candy. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think I signed up to take in my child and love them with every baggage that they come with. And I think sometimes mm. for us as false parents, we get to see the behaviors. You're like, whoa, 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 no, I didn't sign up for this. Well, you know, they were always mm. there. They were always there, you know, but the yeah. best thing is to not, not take those baggages away, but help them navigate on how they can get rid of those bags. And that's my job, you know, and that mm. means that I will, accept some things that are not necessarily that I like, but as a dad to where they're coming from, I have to acknowledge their baggage. I have to yeah. in order to help yeah. them. Love that. So Peter, you are also the founder of Now I Am Known, a corporation that supplies resources that encourage and affirm children. We were just talking about affirming children. So tell us about Now I Am Known. You know, yes. Yeah. So the family, when they took me in, they would use words of affirmation. They used 12. I always nodded them down because those are words I had never heard before. They would say, Peter, you're a gift. I'm like, are you sure? You know, they would say, Peter, you're special. And I'm like, are you for real? You know, you're chosen, you belong, you know? And I was like, if you if you believe so, maybe I am, you know, special in some way. And then at school, if I, you know, I was an F student, if I got a D, the teacher would say, Peter, you are amazing, you're special. So the more I had these words, the more they really helped me kind of take off the shame from me, you know, and that helped me excel in school. So once I grew up, I said, I want to use the same words of affirmation to encourage my kids if I ever became a dad. So as soon as I became a false parent, I wrote three three papers, one on my steering wheel so I can always remember while we're driving, the other on the fridge so I can use them in the kitchen. So since we hang out in the kitchen often, and then one in my closet when I want to quit because that's why you go and say, Lord, I can't do this. <laughs> but, this, you know, but if I see them, they, they remind me that I have the potential uh, to truly be who he has called me to do. So then we got dogs, you know, so my kids, I noticed that every time they were angry, they will always take their dog with them, you know? So then I created a bandana with those 12 words of affirmation and put them on our dog. So every time they were with the dog, they can read the words, you know, you're special, you belong, you're a gift. And then people would come and see and they're like, we love that. And then me and my kids, we decided to create a plushie that is a duplicate of our dog Simba with the 12 words of affirmation. So for everyone we sell, we give it to kids in the foster care and the hospital. And it's not just for kids in the hospital or foster care, but for every child, you know, either biological, they all deserve to be known as you are chosen. You are a gift to us. You are special. You are not alone. You belong. Those words, each child needs to hear them. And so we wanted to really use that as a foundation to help others as well. But we also know like not everyone can be a foster parent. We know it's a calling, you know, 
and we can all do something small. Maybe our entry point is giving them that little plushie to remind them that there's a kid that they have the same plushie as they have, that they're encouraging and can encourage them as well. So that's what we do to truly uh, do mm. that. But also I, I speak, that's what I do for a living. I love to speak for churches and communities so I can inspire them to do more for their local communities. So that's why uh, I love what I do. All right, so two-part question here. Um, your dog, Simba. Now, you have three dogs. How many doggies two do dogs. you have? Yes, Simba two and Two dogs. Rocky. Yes. And yes, and you. I just went and saw Lion King on Broadway with my daughter who grew up watching Lion King like mm-hmm. on VHS tape like three times a day every day when she was little. So, um, but what kind of dogs? What breed? Because you do, you, they appear in a lot of your social media and they're absolutely adorable. Yes. So I have sinuses and bad allergies. So I needed a dog that cannot shed. So a lab doodle and a golden doodle are our dogs. Uh, wonderful. Now, and I, I love them because I have, we have a dog uh, and she is a woodle. So she is part Wheaton Terrier and part poodle. Uh-huh. And she's absolutely adorable. Her name is Liberty and she's just a year old, but she brings great joy to my children as well. So had to, had to acknowledge the puppies, right? We had to get them in there. Um, but also your, uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about now I am known your, your ministry, like, because they can go and order a plushie with the bandana and give it as a gift. Right. So tell us about what they can do there and how they find it. Absolutely. Yes. And also just written a book. So the book I wrote was really more how I was able to overcome the trauma and how that has helped me be a dad the best I can and use that as a foundation to do better for others. And I know there are so many people who love me as a foster parent, but I wanted to see like, yes, you seem as a foster parent, but I have a history that has helped me get here that maybe mm. you can read a little bit more. Yeah, so people can find us on Instagram as Foster Dad Flipper or Peter Mutabazi. On our Facebook, they can also go to Peter Mutabazi or Now I'm Known or Foster Dad Flipper. We also have a YouTube channel because we love, you know, it's, it's cool to put a picture so people can see your kid, but it's another when people can hear their voices, they can see their mm. personalities, to see them as who they are. You know, I think there's a wrong stigma against foster kids, but I wanted people to know that they're just normal kids. You know, we go shopping to Costco, we go swimming, and they can hear what they like to do. So YouTube, now I'm known as well. You know, now I'm known uh, is a YouTube. And my book as well is now I'm known because that man, he made me known. And so it's my mission mm. to make every child seen, heard, and known. So it's really about making others known. Oh, I love that. So so you have a website, which is nowiamknown.com, correct? Right. So folks can go there as well. And the book is Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. Love the title. So when can listeners find your book? Has it been released? When will it be released? Tell us a little bit more about the book. Absolutely, yes, the book. So you can pre-order it and then you'll receive it August 30th. So August 30th is the official release. But right now you can uh, pre-order it as well. And here's the cool thing. If you pre-order one, you get a chapter to read. First chapter uh, as you wait for other chapters to arrive. So it's really a neat way. But also that, that they support me, then I'm able to be foster more children and adapt more kids and also be an advocate for kids. As a dad, you know, I have three jobs and, and navigating those can be really tough. So really them buying a book that will help me be more mm. of a, a stay-home dad, but also I get to keep more kids and open also 
a door for more kids so I can be of help to them. Uh, so that's my whole goal, uh, uh, that people can come alongside. And, and, and as I said, it takes a village to raise a child, you know, but also it's not a calling for everyone, but we know we can support one another to be there. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's something for everybody to do. And if even if it is buying a book, right, because your story is incredible and so inspirational, um, that can be a way to help and to support for sure. And we'll put links to all of your social media, to your website and everything into the book uh, on the show notes for this podcast episode. So listeners can find them super easy. They'll be able to find you because um, I know you especially have an amazing presence on social media and YouTube. And it's so inspiring to watch um, to watch what you're doing out there with your family. So uh, Peter, as we wrap up here, what words of advice and encouragement uh, would you offer to fellow foster and adoptive parents, especially dads who are listening today? Oh, yes, dads. One thing, so I have learned one thing. One, that our kids are not looking for the best shoes. Our kids are not looking for the best bed. Our kids are looking for a dad who, when things are tough, who can say, it's going to be okay. Mm. That's been really wonderful to take off, the. I think, the weight on my side to know like all they need is a dad to wrestle with them. All they need is a dad when things are not okay to say, it's gonna be okay, you know? The, the other part is don't hold on on your, on, your, on your dreams, you know? I think had I held on, I think I would have missed being a dad, you know, because I want, I, yes, I wanna get married, don't get me wrong, you know? But I think in the meantime, while we are waiting, both single moms and single dads, that we can be a dad to other kids as well. The other part as dads, I will tell you, I have had 24 kids and none of them have ever said, I wish we had a mom, none. Here's why, here's why. Because dads, we can truly be inspiring, gentle, kind to our kids. Mm -hmm. And we can play the role as single dad moms have done all these years. But I think there's a power um, and opportunity for us to, to truly be. Most kids don't have dads or don't see dads. Mm -hmm. They are looking for a dad. And I think that's why for me, it's worked well because I am the dad they were looking for that they never had. So as you listen, you know, don't get hang up on, can I do it? I'm telling you, all the kids want is just a dad. That's it. Yeah. To be present and, and to be a dad. And, you know, for those who are thinking, I, I, could, I couldn't do it as a single parent either way. But if when God calls us into this, he equips us for the journey. And like you said, the kids aren't looking for the perfect parent. No but the present parent and the presence of dads are invaluable in the lives of our kids. So thank you so much, Peter, for all that you're doing. You're so inspirational. Thank you for transparently sharing your story, the incredible work that you're doing. Um, I, um, I can't wait to pre-order your book. I'm going to go, I'm going to go and do that as soon as we hang up here um, because I want to make sure I get my copy. Um, and uh, of course, just being an adoptive and foster dad, um, I know your book will go viral, your social media, um, vital resource, vital resource for this community. So um, I thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you for being an advocate for children. We know you're changing lives one at a time. And so we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. What a super exciting and inspiring story. What an honor to have uh, Peter Mutabazi on this podcast. 
And you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am sure that you found some encouragement by listening to Peter's story today as well. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode where you can find links to uh, Peter's uh, Now I Am Known website. Uh, find him on social media. We'll put links there. Check out his YouTube channel. And of course, be sure to pre-order a copy of Peter's book. Uh, and I also want to remind you, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, go to our brand new website, check out justicefororphansny.org. There you can click on training uh, and you'll see FASD training, trauma training. Uh, and if you're interested in our FASD 101 training that I'm currently offering, um, I can do it in person or we could do it online. Uh, we just need a group. It's a 90-minute training. It's perfect for parents, uh, whether you are just suspecting your child may have been prenatally exposed to alcohol, um, whether whether you know, uh, whether you have a diagnosis or not. Uh, and even if you're a foster parent and you're just, you know, you've got kids coming in and out of your home, it's highly likely that you're going to be bringing in children who have been prenatally exposed. So it's it's invaluable for you to understand FASD, the symptoms, uh, and, and really how you can support and accommodate them so that they can be successful. So if you would like to learn more about that training, we don't have one on the calendar right yet, but you could be the first to sort of trigger, trigger the next training session. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's uh, online or in person. I can travel to you. Uh, we can offer it as a group. So um, you can register for it online Learn more about it there on our website, justicefororphansny.org. And stay tuned this summer because I have some uh, very special, exciting things brewing in this category as well. Uh, in September, we're going to be launching uh, an FASD, uh, a fostered adoptive parent support group, a virtual group, uh, a, co a collaboration that I'm doing with another mom, adoptive mom that you may be very familiar with. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag yet as to who she is. We're working on the final details uh, here, but um, stay tuned because you're going to want to be part of not only that support group, but the community that we're building um, as a continued uh, extension of support um, for those of us on this journey. Uh, so, and we also have some episodes lining up uh, throughout the summer that are going to, uh, we're going to have some conversations with some foster and adoptive families who homeschool, who um, are just, we're going to talk about educating our children, whether they go to private, public, or homeschool. Uh, what about the IEP? How does that work? If you have adopted children, if you have kids that have an FASD, how could you possibly homeschool them? Um, just the whole thing, the whole, you know, there's not one right or wrong way to educate our children, um, but every kid is different and every child has different needs and we need to look at what their needs are and what's going to work best for them. Uh, so we're going to be talking to some moms who are, you know, in the weeds on this stuff. And I know my family has been a homeschool family. We've been, I've had kids in special education and public school. Um, I'm currently homeschooling one now. Um, so just 
we're going to have those conversations and get real about that and what it can look like. So if you're, you know, if your kid didn't have a great school year this year, if you're wondering if it's, you know, is this working? They've been in school. Maybe I should homeschool or maybe I've been homeschooling and maybe they should be in school. If you're just really looking for some information to help you on, uh, you know, making those decisions, you're going to want to be uh, stay tuned for our upcoming summer episodes because we're going to be talking with several different um, adoptive and foster parents, especially those who have kids with FASD um, and several who are homeschooling. So we really want to make sure that we bring that invaluable information to you as well. So stay tuned for that. And I thank you for listening today. Remember, please, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, do so and be sure to let your fellow adoptive and foster parenting friends know about this podcast uh, so that they can subscribe and be encouraged and equipped also. You can check out my family's book about our kinship and Ukrainian adoption story, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, available wherever you get your books. If you would like a signed copy, you can go to my website, sandraflack.com, and grab a signed copy from there. Uh, and I do want to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, and National Bank of Cooksaki. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help Justice for Orphans implement and manage the care portal in the greater capital region of upstate New York. Hey, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Justice for Orphans has both a Facebook and Instagram page. You can find me, Sandra Flack, also on Facebook and Instagram, and I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. If you made it all the way to the end of this podcast and you're hearing me say this, I am honored and blessed and I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.